Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Oh yeah, actually I'm not sure how many people do this. I use my calendar as a log of things that I have done, not just things that I should do or things that are upcoming in the future. What I'll do is I'll check into a task and check out. So I've got a particular key press combination that allows me to say this task is in progress and it adds a little tag. When I mark that task done, which again is another key press, just command D, done. Marking it in progress or checking it in adds a start time at the beginning of that line. Um, marking it done adds an end time and then also triggers um, Fantastical's uh, URL scheme to add that task to the calendar with the beginning and start time. Welcome back to another episode of Apple Pros. This is a really packed episode that I think you're really going to enjoy. Joining us is Jacob Samler-Rose. Jacob runs a writing initiative he started back in 2009. We dive into a bunch of different topics, including his custom ergonomic keyboard that he built, the apps he uses to write and run his writing initiative, and why the iPad is the perfect computer for him. As a reminder, you can support the podcast over patreon.com slash pros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. By supporting the podcast, you'll get both iPad Pros and Vision Pros early. My sincere thanks to everyone that supports the show. With that, here's my discussion with Jacob. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, yeah finding the time. I know it's been a busy time of year. Um, I know work stuff is kind of hectic for you right now. So thanks for finding the time in your schedule. Hey, I would make the time. Big fan of the podcast. Um, big fan of the reason for being for this podcast. So yeah, it's lovely to be here. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, before we get uh, too far in, can you kind of share a little bit about your background, your, yourself, and your current iPad setup? Yeah, sure. So I am Jacob Sam LaRose. I have a kind of a strange name. Um, my mother's family is Sam's. My father's family are LaRose's. Um, and the LaRose's have a space between the La and the Rose. And just to make it even more complicated, someone thought it would be a good idea to throw a hyphen in between <laughs> the Sam and the LaRose. So it's, it's a nightmare for bank forms and all of that kind of official documentation. Um, but yeah, that's who I am. That's my real name as a poet, writer, performer, creative consultant, artistic director. I'm one of those strange people who has a lot of different roles and yeah. wears a lot of different hats. But as someone who has all these different roles and, and has a kind of performative existence... Um, I'm sometimes asked if that's my real name. Yes, it is my real name. I did not change my name just to make it more difficult for it's myself. It's not like a poetry name. Yeah, It's not a poetry <laughs> name. No, that is my given name. Yeah. But yeah, that's who I am. Poet, writer, performer, artistic director, creative consultant, editor, facilitator. Um, everything I do is around creative development, uh, creative writing, creating space for people to value their own expression mm -hmm. and figure out what's possible for what it is that they might want to say. Excellent. And what iPad setup are you currently rocking these days? So I am on an iPad Pro 12.9, one of the M1s from um, 2021. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. 512 gigs. And yeah, it's doing me well. It's doing me fine, actually. I am very, very happy with this, uh, with this model. Yeah, that's the model I have, except I went with the the ungodly expensive one terabyte model <laughs> <laughs> which gives you the extra ram right? it does yeah. yeah people always forget about the that that ram when they go to configure it's like why is it uh that much more for one terabyte like you get the ram too yeah. indeed so um 
there is our rumors of, of new OLED iPads. Uh, you're happy with yours, though, as am I, aren't you? Yeah. I really am. Um, I think the whole OLED thing and, you know, thoughts on what it might take for me to upgrade to anything else that comes out in the short term or midterm future. Um, I can't really think of anything compelling off the top of my head that would make me say, yeah, I want to give this one up and go for something nice. The whole OLED thing, it, it, you know, wonderful, great. Yes. But I'm so happy with the iPad that I currently have that it doesn't seem to make that much of a difference for me. Then again, I say that. New and shiny is always a... Uh, New and shiny thing. is always something you need to allow space for. Yes. And I know, I mean, in terms of my... Um, and if the keyboard my... is... Um, if the new keyboard is exclusive to this new generation, maybe as a writer you like that keyboard in some way that just drives you over the spend the godly amount to upgrade for that no when you when you say keyboard are you talking um uh hardware or are you talking something within the os uh the magic keyboard i hear is getting this crazy new redesign yeah. Right. So I'm going to drop a bomb and say yeah. I'm really not fussed. No. Not fussed at all. Not fussed. I've never owned a Magic Keyboard. I've, I've, I've owned iPads from the very – I've owned I, I've owned iPads since the very first iPad. And, um, yeah, I've never really bought into the Magic Keyboard side of things. Um, great that it works well for so many people. But me personally, um, I'm one of those strange people who doesn't, doesn't need an iPad to be um, – attached to the keyboard okay so i run my ipad in a very simple portfolio um sleeve kind of case kind of thing um ned relo um fantastic kind of um origami case so it the 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 front lid um or front part of the case serves well as a stand and that stand kind of turns from portfolio to landscape as you wish love that case really simple keeps it quite minimal and the keyboard that i work with is again a very minimal um ergo mechanical keyboard so the whole thing about kind of uh, dedicated magic keyboards that might only work with a particular model i'm sorted i'm fine that's that's not really a limitation or consideration that's awesome, and if I were smarter, that's the the way I'd do it. <laughs> These paired accessories, you know, they really get yeah. you. Yeah, know, you buy the iPad. Oh, it's only this much. Said you add the the three hundred fifty dollars keyboard. The add the keyboard. Yeah. Add the pencil. Yeah, add everything. Add add your um your screen protection, or you, you know whatever it is that makes the surface of your screen feel like real paper, and so on and so forth. You know, yeah, it all adds up. It all adds up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the keyboard's the, the real one. It's like, is that thing so expensive? And it, it is. Mm. I, I enjoy it. I like the form factor of like this laptop thing I can pop off. But uh, yeah, um, it would be nice to not have that uh, as the tether of like uh, with upgrade costs and all that. As as far as your iPad usage, you're happy with the 12.9 inch screen size? Like, has a smaller iPad ever appealed to you? Like a a mini alongside this iPad, or is the 12.9? Oh yeah, size for you. No, for sure. Um, I mean, I've been through almost all of the iterations now of particularly the iPad Pro. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of uh, the range of different iPads available, I ha- I bought into the iPad mini with the very first iPad mini, the one um, upgraded to the second one, kind of had that around as a supporting device for a while, and then jumped up to a five. Um, so I had the fifth generation iPad mini for a fair while. And um, when the six 
um, landed. I, I was, I was up on that. Um, and I love that as a supporting device for the, um, the larger size 12.9. Um, the, the iPad mini for me feels like my notepad. Okay. It's kind yeah. of like, so as a writer, I used to spend a lot of time on, on stationery, right? Um, there's a particular Japanese stationery store in nearby Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. Um, as a Londoner, I used to visit quite a bit and they have taken almost as much money from me as Apple has, I think, with the, do you have a favorite, uh, do you have a favorite fountain pen, uh, brand or, um, you know, um, I'm not quite a hardcore pen aficionado. Okay. Uh, my, my pen tastes are relatively modest. I was quite happy with these um, these Muji uh, gel ink pens, okay. uh, the nice. 0.38 tips, right? Um, so, yeah, no hardcore fountain pens for me. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the stationary... Because that, that can be a very big uh, rabbit hole. Yes. Oh, that is a whole <laughs> other thing. Yeah. Right. That's a whole other niche that you can fall into. Um, but yeah, uh, I used to spend quite a bit of money on like moleskin notepads, um, Muji notepads. Again, there was a particular brand called Start Here NYC that used to do these beautiful um, three tier notepads at one point with kind of lined paper and plain paper and graph paper all in the same notebook. Absolutely beautiful. I was a, I was a real stationary geek at one point. And um, yeah, I kind of switched over to the iPad as a notebook. And the, the the mini form for that is absolutely beautiful. It has that same kind of size. Um, and and I do often because I have the because um, I have the pencil, I have the pen. The, so it's the one pencil that I can use across both of the iPads that I own. Um, I do tend to use the pencil much more so on the iPad mini and use it truly as that kind of handwritten notebook vibe, um, as opposed to the larger iPad, which feels more like my, I hesitate to say laptop or what, but it's my primary computing device. You know, it's the main computer that, that I have in my life. So that, although the keyboard that I use, I can, it, it's a multi-device keyboard, so Bluetooth. I can connect to the mini from that keyboard at a key press. Um, what generally tends to happen, particularly when I'm at home in my home office, what generally tends to happen is that I will make no, I mean, even as I'm standing right now, I have the iPad mini at hand screen open into, um, concepts and, um, the iPad mini, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Apple pencil, um, at hand to, to kind of quickly capture notes and thoughts and whatnot. And the, um, the iPad pro is sat in its stand, um, with my keyboard in front and um yeah it's that kind of split that i yeah. make use of that, that's awesome yeah i i miss the days of doing the dual ipad lifestyle because it is nice to have a smaller ipad around and yeah 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 and it's it's also i mean so one of the joys of the ipad is it it it, it can do similar things to the laptop um, that you might use, but also the form factor allows you a little more flexibility, right? So one of the things I'm aware of being a compulsive note taker, I might sit in a meeting 
Um, and straight away, you know, the, the, I'm, you want to make notes. You, you, if you have your laptop, your laptop um, screen flips up and whatnot. And you've got this kind of barrier between yourself and the people that you're sitting in this meeting with, right? Um, much more often now, or well, actually all the time, because all I use is, is iPads for this, this kind of thing. Um, I'll, I'll just have the mini in hand and I'll be making notes directly on that screen. And there's much less of a barrier, much more present in that conversation, uh, as opposed to having this device between myself and the other people that I'm speaking with. Um, so yeah, I really do. I appreciate the the mini form factor. But you know, that and also the fact that it can do just about everything else that I do on my iPad Pro. Um, and it can be that functional in kind of more challenging environments. Say for example, I've just come back from spending two weeks on the road. Um, delivering training for writers and teachers across the UK um, and being on trains. Uh, yes, I can. If I get a proper table seat, um, I can pull the iPad um, 12.9 out. But in those smaller seats where you've just got the, the fold down table on the back of the seat in front of you, actually, it's a lot more convenient to just stick the mini there. And yes, I can still connect the keyboard and type away and handle emails and do all that kind of thing. Um, but the space, uh, it, it's a much better use of space to work with the mini. So I, I love, I love yeah. that flexibility. I love that. Yeah. And the keyboard, uh, it's in the show notes here. Um, the fifth, Fifi keyboard, is that what's called? Fifi. Yeah. Mm. The Fifi. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's two pieces. So like half yeah. the keyboard, it seems like with the mini, you could have half your hand, like ne- kind of Joy-Con style with Nintendo, like half yeah. your hand next to each side almost. Like, is that yeah, kind of yeah, the way yeah, it yeah. works? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a split keyboard. So um, what you'll see if you if you were on one of these trains that I've been traveling on over the past couple of weeks, you walk by and you see this guy with this strange keyboard um, and he'd have this screen in the middle bet- uh, and, and on either side of the screen, you've got the two halves of a keyboard. And it's uh, it's also um, it's like a 36 key keyboard. Yeah, it looks like it's right? missing. Like, is there a return key? I'm not sure if I see a return key there. Now you say it's missing. I say <laughs> all of the keys that I need are present there. Um, so yeah, it's it's got a very reduced kind of minimal layout. But um, you know, one of the things that's said about these kinds of keyboards uh, as a way of explaining it is we're used to the idea of using the shift key uh-huh. to, um, to 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 access different symbols or different keys that are not physically present or that we don't think of as being physically present right so um we don't have a separate key for lowercase a and uppercase a for example right we hold the shift to get the uppercase a um it just so happens that on these kinds of keyboards you have keys called layer keys that allow you to access different layers of layouts on on the one keyboard. So if you look at my keyboard, you'll you you may observe that there is a numpad missing. Um, so there are no number keys, just the regular kind of QWERTY layout with a couple of symbols on the right hand side. But I know that if I hold down one of my layer keys, my left the left side of my board offers me a numpad um, where the W key is number one, E is number two, R is three, so on and so forth. Right. Sounds kind of weird. Sounds kind of complicated. Muscle memory 
um, accounts for a lot of this kind of thing, right? So if you're thinking about it consciously, if you're listening to me describe this, that might sound like, ugh, that's a bit challenging. Give me my full-size keyboard instead. Um, but I'm so used to working this way and so many other people get into these kinds of minimal um, ergonomic layouts. Um, and then, you know, you, you just get used to where things are, such to the extent that when I first started getting into... Um, ergomechanical keyboards i was i was fascinated by the idea of having backlighting so that you can see where your keys are while you're typing at night right um and the more time i spent with these keyboards particularly these minimal ones um i realized that actually i just know where everything is i don't need the lighting i don't need to see um and that's aided and assisted by the fact that there are so few keys to actually remember the positions of um so yeah it works out it works out it works out quite well i'm curious is there a way to do a a hard break return i imagine when writing poetry sometimes you need that or am i wrong there yeah, 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 for sure. So the return key, um, not everyone will be able to, add. maybe we'll put my key map in the show notes yes, for I will. this yeah, so that I people can, that, can yeah. kind of refer to what it is that I'm talking about. But the inner thumb key on the right hand side of the board, um, that's my return key. Ah, I see that now. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, so I have space on the other inner thumb key and return on, yeah, the, the right hand side. So, um, yeah, that, that key is, is there. And, um, yeah, everything else is available with, uh, a simple key press. Excellent. Yeah. And you have an external monitor, uh, you're yes. on right now. I'm curious yes. for your like desk setup. Do you have a, a, different keyboard is this your mobile keyboard and do you have a different kind of that that setup this is my primary keyboard um i do have a selection of keyboards i've got an old school mac keyboard that's like full-sized with numpad and all that kind of thing i haven't touched it's like one of those old school aluminium um or aluminum however that's pronounced um but yeah uh i've got one of those old school full-sized keyboards from way back when i haven't touched it for over a decade it's just a showpiece now um this uh fifi keyboard is my daily driver and i use it for everything and again because i can uh, connect to various different devices it's it, it travels with me but it also sits on on my desktop setup um it, it's capable of all things nice uh does it fold up in any way or like in charging it how does that all so charging it it's uh it's usb-c um, so there's, uh, the brains of, of this particular board, they're called, uh, so each side has a kind of microprocessor and, and the microprocessors that make these boards wireless, they're called nice nanos, um, yeah. nice nanos charge via USB-C. Um, and I've got these kind of little MagSafe connectors in them so I can just snap a USB-C keyboard on and off. Uh, I can snap a USB-C cable on and off really quickly. Um, so charging is easy, and um, there's a little power switch underneath the uh, the MagSafe connectors so that you can pack it away quite nicely without worrying about it um, inadvertently tapping or triggering any keys. And because it's such a small board and because it's split, um, I have a really nice little case. Actually, it's a repurposed 
uh, case for a pair of old headphones, a pair of AKG headphones. It's the perfect size. I love it. I love it when you have that kind of moment of, um, hey, this thing that I've had sitting here thinking that I might make use of it at some point in the future, but never knowing what I was going to actually use it for, it turns out to be perfectly designed for uh, for this keyboard that I've built. Um, and yeah, so the back-to-back, -back, when you put the two halves together, they fit perfectly into this nice little um, headphones case. And that, that served me well for travel. It's a hard case, so yeah, I can throw that in my bag and go with it. In fact, actually, I should say, this keyboard, like I say, I kind of put it together as a... Christmas project. It's the uh, second mechanical keyboard I've built. Um, but it's a bit naked at the moment. It is literally just the PCB uh, that I placed an order for and um, the switches uh, kind of fitted into that PCB without the two. So you're supposed to have two other layers at least on a board like this, or you, um, you kind of put it into a case um, that's it, that kind of surrounds the PCB. And I just haven't got around to uh, to ordering the case yet. Um, and I was so keen to actually get the majority of it built before I got busy. Um, I went ahead and just, you know, put the switches in, got it up and running. And I've been using it in this kind of low profile, uh, naked format. And actually it works really well for me. So I'm in two minds as to how much I'm actually going to add to it. I will probably just add one more plate to keep the switches neatly um, and solidly and firmly in place. But other than that, I'm really happy with the way that it is. No, it looks pretty neat. So this is not something you buy off the shelf, it sounds like. Yeah, is... No, no, this is a project, right? Yeah. So um, you can place orders for some of these things. Um, you can have people um, build them for you and whatnot. But yeah, this was my foray. So while... Um, over the uh, the COVID period and the lockdown period, while some people were, what was it, making banana bread and things like this, um, I was teaching myself ergo mechanical keyboards and figuring out how one might build something like this. That's so, um, yeah, I'm back yeah. this thing. Um, it'll be in the show notes with a bunch of pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Stage manager, I'm curious. Uh, I know there are key combinations you're showing in here that enable that kind of stuff for uh, split screen, I believe. Um, are you using stage manager? Uh, and if so, in what kind of context? Like, Yeah, so two things there. The um, Where you were talking about the key combinations and things, uh, because the keyboard is programmable, um, I can do that. Yes, I can have a little look through that little layover that shows you all the... Um, iPad OS keyboard shortcuts, mm -hmm. and I can program them into specific combinations on my keyboard to make that easier to access. So I've done that with a few things like slide over, because I use slide over quite a bit. Like, for example, I'll keep a calendar in slide over. Um, and for this reason, I, I use both iCal and Fantastical. And I'll typically keep Fantastical in slide over uh -huh. so that at a single key press, I can just have the calendar come up from one side of the screen, have a quick look at where I am in the day, and then dismiss it just from one key combo press. Um, so I find that really useful. Um, beyond that, though, where you were asking about stage manager, yeah. uh, I've only actually really gotten into stage manager in the last few weeks. Um, there are a few people that I, I speak to who've been trying to nudge me towards stage manager for a little while. Shout out to um, to Denny. Um 
Denny's a fantastic individual who does a lot of writing about iPads and, and really kind of champions the cause of uh, of iPads. And um, yeah, he was recommending uh, stage manager as a way of working. Uh, and I think he's, he's in that whole kind of stage manager setup quite a bit for most of his iPad usage. Me personally, I tried it out when it was first announced. Didn't quite land for me. Tried it again another couple of times after that. Obviously, it's improved um, since it was initially released. And it was really just, uh, like I say, a couple of weeks ago that I thought, hey, let me um, let me plug my monitor in and, and see what it is that I can do. And I'm not sure exactly what it is that's made a difference this time. But this time is the time that has stuck for me thus far. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying having the kind of large screen behind the iPad. And I've got it set up so that the iPad, again, I have this kind of standing desk set up. So the iPad is kind of at a decent eye level. I do use it as, as a useful screen. It's a little ahead of the uh, the monitor. The monitor is a little further back uh, on the desk in the distance. Um, and that works beautifully in terms of the uh, kind of resolution and aspect ratios and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's it's making a lot of sense in my in my workflow. Good, yeah. Uh, I kind of bounce back and forth. Um, when, I, when I'm on external display, of course, you need to use Stage Manager, but on the iPad itself, uh, I, I bounce back and forth between split screen and Stage Manager because um, I do like just the, the simple split screen yeah. not bothering with yeah. a bunch of windows. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, actually. I On the iPad itself, I don't use Stage Manager on the iPad. Yeah. I only really use Stage Manager when I have uh, an extended display connected mm-hmm. and it's just on that extended display. Yeah. As you say, I love that kind of split screen way of working. And I think this is something about why it is that the iPad works so well for me and has worked so well for me. Obviously, I'm not incapable of using, um, uh, you know, uh, windowing um, uh, as a way of working with different applications and whatnot. But I, I think there's a way in which my mind works that responds really well to limiting the number of different things I have to manage on you know my 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 screen um so having that kind of focus some people see it as a limitation but i've always really appreciated it as a feature um actually the ipad being something that supports at one point single tasking and now a degree of multitasking uh, with a range of flexibility um that can allow you to get multiple things done without necessarily having so much choice that you are more focused on exactly where your windows are positioned or how many different things you can squeeze onto a screen. And, um, you know, yeah, you, 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 for me personally, it's just easier to get on with what it is that I'm supposed to be doing rather than noodling too much, for you sure. know? Yeah. I enjoy the fluid nature of like swapping out the split screen house by dragging, right. dragging stuff around and just like, it's, yeah. it's fun. As far as um, other computers in your life, is there a Mac in your life that does like the one or two tasks that uh, you can't do on iPad quite yet? Yeah, they're, 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 so I have, I, I default at times to an old, I think it's a 2015 MacBook. Um, it's, it's a beautiful little thing. If, if I was still in that world, I'd be very happy with that kind of format as a laptop and whatnot. Um, I only really fire it up when I need to write firmware for my keyboard. 
Um, and when I say that, it's, it's literally just about flashing the mic. So every time I update my, um, my key map, uh, and, and say, Oh, I want to shift where that key is to, to another position on the keyboard. Um, I do that via GitHub and then download the firmware and I have to write the firmware to the keyboard. And there's this slightly frustrating or not even slightly somewhat frustrating bug that, um, uh, I'm sure there's a reason for it. So I'm not sure if I can precisely call it a bug, but, um, when you're trying to do that from iPad OS, um, you get this error. I can't remember exactly what the error message was. I think it was, I think it also at one point was coming out via Mac OS, but it got kind of sorted very quickly for Mac OS. Um, but yeah, this is stuck around for a fair, fair while. I remember there was a revision of iPad OS, uh, a year or two back that allowed you to write firmware. Um, but that for some reason was rolled back in some way. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, other than that, it's real isolated moments at this point in time with the way that I'm currently working with the range of different things that I do. It's only really isolated moments where I need to crack open the MacBook for anything really. I had to do, um, an interview in second life. Wow. Huh. Yeah, there was um, a project. I had to write something um, in response to an artist's work. And that artist was very invested in um, kind of glitch glitch art. Um, and he proposed, when it came around to doing this kind of extended interview, he proposed that we do this interview uh, in Second Life and we record it and put it out into the world that way. Um, and that was something that I couldn't do on the iPad, so I had to break out the MacBook. Um, I've got a couple of Mac minis, old Mac minis here as well. I've got like a 2012 Mac mini. Um, and I've got an, so these are all legacy machines, yeah. right? Um, I've got a 2010 iMac sitting somewhere. Again, this is more of a display device than it is. <laughs> and when I say display, I mean, literally just something to look at. I haven't turned it on for a while. Um, but yeah, the, the iPad is, is what does the majority of it. The MacBook is what picks up any of the slack the iPad OS leaves over. And um, the rest of the Apple hardware is just for legacy sake, for show, and um, for saying, I once was a hardcore Apple user, and Apple is still kind of in my heart. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm an iPad guy through and through these days. Excellent. Yeah. I just uh, inherited a 2012-ish Mac Mini from a mm. member that's moving and mm. it's like do you do you want this i have no need for it. it's like actually it's got the built-in super drive this seems yep. like a perfect itunes match machine if i ever saw yeah one. yeah they yeah, don't yeah. Even make and- a max with optical drives anymore this is like this is great yeah this is it. And those 2012, I mean, obviously much more modern minis out that do fantastic and wonderful things, but those 2012 Mac minis were pretty upgradable. Yeah. You can just pop um, the, so you the can, back off and yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, for keeping old tech relatively modern, um, or usable in, in a contemporary sense, I think those 2012 Mac minis were great. Yeah. Cause I have a, I have a 11 inch MacBook Air from 2011. And right. until now, that's been my only Mac, and that's what I've been using for iTunes Match. I took up the external super drive for that sucker. But right. uh, I'm very excited to get this Mac Mini in use, because I think this will be a much 
I'll actually do the iTunes batch thing more than once a year because it's less of a pain in the butt to try to <laughs> hook that up and get it ready. Yeah. So um yeah. So um, let's dive into you know some of the work you actually do. And not in my questions here. I'm actually curious with poetry writing. Do you use any kind of special apps for writing poetry that you kind of separate out from your other writing? Is is that a different kind of environment for you when you? Not really. No. Funnily enough, um, so I use drafts for just about all of my writing. Okay. Um, I'm a member of the uh, the curious clan of of drafts users. Um, I have so much love for that app. Um, I used to be a, a hardcore Scrivener guy. Um, love Scrivener and what Scrivener is capable of. But when I made the shift to the iPad, I was looking for something that just served my needs without the rest of the additional functionality that I wasn't making use of and just felt like psychic baggage um, you know, yeah, when took, you've got it this, took a it's, it's, while for Scrivener to finally make it to iPad. to catch up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I hear they're working on a, a kind of stripped back okay. um, application that I think is going to be also for iPadOS. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see where that will go. But um, yeah, you know, when like you know, word processors, Microsoft Word, for example, when I used to use Word, um, there were so many buttons <laughs> and yeah. so many like tools and things and like 90% of that I did not use. Uh, I just needed it to be essentially a text editor, right? Yeah. Um, so when it comes around to me um, writing poetry or writing anything really on on uh, my, my iPads these days, uh, yeah, drafts is where everything starts. Drafts is where all of the ideas are developed and I've got, I've gotten really comfortable with the way that drafts works and there are actions that I've put in place to make drafts work even better for me. I, I have um, my own um, styles um, in terms of theming drafts yeah. and whatnot, and my own syntaxes and whatnot. So I use my own kind of stripped back version of Markdown. Um, the one thing about Markdown that's kind of problematic for writing poetry is that whole thing of um, in like strict Markdown to indicate, again, the hard returns that you were talking about earlier. Um, you actually use two spaces, right? Um, and that was always a gotcha for me when I was rendering um, uh, poems from the text that I was writing in the actual editor. Um, so I kind of made my own edits to um a syntax for drafts and that serves really well for allowing me to manage my own writing in drafts very simply very cleanly um and yet be able to output documents that are usable in other settings do you have an organizational system in drafts that uh kind of separates everything yeah, so Drafts allows you to create different workspaces, which are kind of like folders. This this feels like it's going to be a Drafts tutorial, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> um, check out the website. There you go. End yeah. No, Drafts allows you to um, create uh, different workspaces, which are kind of like folders, and you can create those workspaces on the basis of uh, different tags. So um, it's kind of like a smart foldering system, right? So um, yes, because I use Drafts for so many different 
ways of working. Um, I can separate and I do separate out the different types of draft documents that I have in there um, so that I can move between different categories of, of drafts, drafts um, entries really easily. So, um, yes, all my writing is in one workspace. Um, my daily journals and logs are in another workspace. I, I use drafts for um, for workout logs. Um uh, tracking what it is that I do in workouts and whatnot. So there's a workspace for that. Um, yeah, range of different things. Very cool. Um, is mind mapping a part of your tool set when you're trying to get ideas out before you go into the writing phase? For sure. So there are a couple of different, um, there's mind mapping and then there's like a kind of a freehand sketch noting, um, way of working. So mind mapping, I'm currently using, uh, MindNode, um, which is a really beautiful app. Yeah. Uh, let's not downplay the importance of aesthetics. It's important. It's very... like, you know, you want a pretty workspace, you know, you really there you do. go. Yeah. There you go. These are important considerations here. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it looks great, but also it has that kind of functionality in terms of being able to, so I can using URL schemes, I can connect, uh, my nodes maps, to notes in drafts and move between them quite seamlessly. And again, kind of going back to customizing it for my particular workflow. Um, I've my syntax, uh, the syntax that I've created allows me to very simply create these uh, links that uh, without having to type out the whole uh, URL scheme, I can just type the name of the mind map uh, as a clickable link that takes me directly to it. Um, so I love that kind of connectivity. I love apps that work well with each other. URL schemes, what a blessing, what a wonderful thing that URL schemes um, are. Um, I love, also I love apps that, that exist across iOS and iPadOS. Um, so the fact that my node, for example, I may not use my iPhone as a primary platform for mind mapping, but knowing that I can call up my mind maps on the phone as well as on the iPads, um, that's a real boon as well. You mentioned sketch noting. Is there a certain app you use for that? Yeah, there are a couple of apps that I use actually, um, and they kind of overlap in the way that I work with them. But yeah, I use an app called Muse and I also use Concepts. And Muse for me is a little more document orientated. So I'll have, um, let's say, for example, this training that I was referring to doing uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, or over the past couple of weeks, I was delivering these training sessions for writers and teachers. So um, within each training session, I'd be referring to a, fr a project framework document, um, a handbook, which was either the teacher handbook or the artist handbook, um, the agenda for the actual training session. And I'd have all these documents open. And um, in Muse, I created this, again, this kind of workspace that had the selection of those documents available alongside my handwritten or sketch sketched out notes. Um, and again, being able to split screen, I could very easily have these two documents uh, alongside each other with a slide over to um, just a canvas that I could make um, handwritten notes on. And it's all the same workspace. So it's all in the same place. Because I'm delivering this program of trainings, it makes sure that everything is coherent and I don't have to look in a number of different places for this set 
of different thinking. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it provides me with a wonderful way to work. Concepts now is just an infinite canvas. Um, one of the reasons I love working with concepts alongside something like Muse is that, so Muse is quite opinionated in terms of its zoom levels at the moment. Um, so it'll only allow you to zoom in and out so far um, with something like concepts because it is that kind of infinite canvas vibe. Um, you can zoom all the way in and all the way out. There's no limitation. You can move the screen around. That's that's a really important thing for me. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place right if i'm if i'm sketching if i'm making a note on something i'm i'm going in various different directions i'm turning the canvas around i'm you know i'm going wherever it is that my mind needs to go in order to kind of create this um spatial representation of how it is these ideas are emerging um muse is a little more kind of refined and contained than that concepts allows me to go wherever it is that i want to go um so using the two of those alongside in in different contexts and different settings has, has, has proof, proven to be really fruitful for me have you uh tried out apple's freeform app and given it a shot to see what it's like yeah, I did. I did. I tried it when it was first released, and then I tried it again a little while after that. It just didn't land for me. It doesn't, or it didn't, for the times that I tried it out. It didn't offer the same level of comfort. And to be fair, maybe part of that is just what it is that you're used to, right? So I'm very used to working with concepts. I've been working with concepts for years now, right? Um, and Muse, I've got very comfortable with. I mean, I remember seeing Muse when it was just a concept pitch, Um uh, that was being put forward for different ways of working with the iPad as a new form of computing, right? This kind of touchscreen computing, um, pencil and, and canvas kind of thing. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of heavily invested in in news and the way that it works. Um, Freeform came along and it was doing some of the same things. It didn't have the same kind of polish as news or concepts. There were just little gotchas, things that didn't work quite as nicely as what it was that I was able to do in either of the other apps. So I'm kind of keeping my eye on Freeform, but it hasn't yet come through as something that would disturb my use of either Muse or Concepts for now. So tell me a bit about your creative writing initiative. You found it back in 2009. And you know how has it evolved over this decade plus like how's it look today versus back then yeah it's been a decade wow that ages me that makes me feel <laughs> old <laughs> um so yeah you started this uh, a year before the ipad came out uh, 2009 yeah. yeah 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 uh good point on that actually yeah so um when i started this program i'd been running a similar program for two or three years before this current one um and that allowed me to frame some thinking in terms of what it is that I wanted to do with something like this. Essentially, this is a program that is a creative development program for young writers. And the term young is very flexible. Um, when I started the program in 2009, it applied to 14 to 19 year olds, right? Yeah. Um, like, so my, my background, I don't know if this is relatable, like I... Music composition was what I wanted to do when I was a youngster, oh, well. and so I had, you know, uh, as a kid, I would, you know, go to private lessons with, you know, composers and stuff. Yeah, is it is it, is it at all similar with like you know young youngsters wanting to get in the writing and wanting some one on one instruction or? 
Not so much one-on-one. So um, it was more about kind of like a group workshop kind of setting, right? Um, So in the beginning, it was maybe... 12 13 different people in a space and it was it was it, it, it was kind of a long program so there'd be a term of people coming in for sessions um and the term might be three or four months at a time and for the first couple of years we ran three times a year and yeah great wonderful fantastic really lovely vibe the first few sessions were literally me um kind of saying to young people that i would encounter through workshops that i ran in schools or workshops that i ran in other settings hey you know um if you've enjoyed this session i'm running this program at this art center so it's the barbican art center in london largest art center in europe um of its kind um hey i'm running this workshop uh, at the barbican um would you like to come along if you've enjoyed this session you might be interested in in what it is that we're doing here and we kind of had this tight knit family or community of young poets who showed up and yeah we just spent time writing and I supported their writing I supported their development around that I supported their professional development and over the years it's kind of evolved into this beast of a program right um uh, in the early days it was literally just hey yeah show up come through um now there's like this three-tier application process you have to go through because hundreds of people want a seat and it's it's i mean the joy is there the the love remains um it's also really painful for me because i i'm one of those kinds of people who wants to do everything that i can with all the people who are interested in this kind of work and yet there are limits there is only so much work that i can do there are only so many people that i can feasibly or meaningfully work with in um in a kind of a workshop program like this. So each year we now take on about 20 people and there are hundreds of people that apply for seats within the program. It's like one long program that we run now. So we run from October to this year, we're running October to June. Um, So it's kind of a long-term program throughout the year. Um, And yeah, there's this point where I'm going through this application process where, you know, maybe I've shortlisted, um, 40 50 people and i need to cut it down to 20 maybe 22 people every year i say i'm only going to work with 18 people this year that's it let's cut it down let's (laughs) let's get really minimal and sparse let's just focus on a smaller number of people and then i go through this application process and i'm like oh i can't let that person go oh no this person's amazing um i guess the other thing to mention is unlike many other programs um this is the kind of program where you can return right so um It's not just about, and this is something very specific that I wanted to build into this kind of work. It's not just about, hey, you've been through this program, you've done your time, now go away. It's more about, um, you've been through this program and now you can apply to return up to another two times after your first year. So someone can be a Barbican Young Poet three times running. Um, Just because they've been on the program, that doesn't necessarily mean they're guaranteed a slot each time they apply. Um, but, you know, the, the application process is open to them. And I generally take 40 to 50 percent of my intake for each year from the reapplication. So there's this real sense of an ongoing community and this sense of peer learning as well. So it's not just about me saying I am the esteemed authority in the space. I know everything and thou shalt listen to me. Um, it's much more about I'm holding a space. And yes, there are things that I can offer you you but also there are things that you can offer each other so let's do this together 
Um, and that's been really important to me as a way of, of, of establishing this as a, as a program that, that does have that sense of community at its heart. Um, yeah, so that's how it's grown over these past years. And um, yeah, my role is, um, you know, I, I am the guy who leads the sessions or who holds the sessions. Um, I plan those sessions. Uh, I have colleagues at the Art Centre itself, uh, the creative producer and the, the assistant creative producer. So as a team, we come together to to make sure the programme runs in terms of all its practicalities. I communicate directly with the poets in terms of what it is that they need to do. I... I plan the program in terms of the guest artists and guest facilitators that I want to bring in. Um, you know, I, I do everything that one might do in terms of managing a program like this. I offer feedback. Um, there's no grading or marking for a program like this. It's not about um, do your homework so you can attain this particular kite mark of, of validation. It's more about how do we establish practice and how do I offer you some support in terms of what more you can do or where else you might be able to go or how you can challenge what you do as an artist or what you do as a writer. Um, so, yeah, all of that work, um, bringing it back to the iPad, all of that work yeah. is work that I do through um through this ipad whether it is uh don't get me started on on google drive and how uh, <laughs> google basically trolls ipad users um i i had a nope moment this afternoon when i was i was setting up a, a collaborative uh, there's a new project that i'm taking on and i just needed a document and space that could serve up some files that wouldn't be too off-putting for someone who doesn't do this kind of tech stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, everyone has Google. I can use Google Drive. I can put a document in there and a spreadsheet maybe. Fire up Google Drive. Um, and yeah, I've got the app. Sure, yeah, I could do it that way. Fired Google Drive up in the browser, however. And I don't know if you've noticed this. Google Drive looks huge. When you log into Google Drive on in safari on an ipad it's like you've pressed command plus 50 times and everything is just blown up huge and i'm like okay that's cool i'm a web guy i can do this um command minus minus my nothing happens um there's something strange about the way that google drive sits on um on safari even um, after you log in and you're working even on. after you log in i'm there you know all my files are there everything but it's just this kind of huge oversized display. It's the kind of display that my mother, 87 years old, bless her, she'd be very happy with. Because, you know, you've got the huge size text and whatnot. And it was just one more frustrating. There are a number of different gotchas with um, Google Drive on uh, on, on an iPad. Um, but it was just the, 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 the little straw that broke the back of the proverbial camel um, that had me say, nope. Not doing it, not doing it again. Done this too many times. Let's go for something else. So I started um, experimenting with this app called Coda. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. I'm not sure if it's the same Coda. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's the Coda. Um, what was that? Panic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I, does that still exist? Was, was I'm that not sure of the current point? state of that. I, I, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's this kind of, it's... Um, Coda is very close to Notion um, in that you've got it, – it's more of this kind of document-based thinking where the document houses all of these different functions as opposed to having – 
your kind of like file folder paradigm where you've got different docs within those files and within those folders that you access through different apps. Rather than that, it's like, here's your list of docs. And within each doc, you can have a, a, your text, your spreadsheet, your database, all that kind of thing. So it's basically like a, a slightly different version of Notion. And um, I find it, it thus far. Uh, I mean, I've known about it for a while. I've started experimenting with it again today and it just works really beautifully there's an ipad app um as sometimes happens the ipad app is not quite as uh how should we say fully fully functional let's say yeah as the web app yeah it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting this time um like you mentioned google apps and whatnot and uh there's this talk in vision os how you know not everyone's gonna have an app for the platform and on right. the ipad uh, I often uninstall the Google apps because I'd rather go to the website for like docs and sheets. Like it seems like, I don't know, sometimes it's it's just go to the website. It's better. Um, Uh, Completely, completely. Like working with Google docs on the, um, on the iPad, like just text selection uh, and simple little things that should be really easy. It's actually easier on the, as you say, it's easier on the web app than it is on the native app. And it kind of blows my mind. Coda may the similar word just use the website you know yeah yeah i mean the web app the the native app kind of it, it works it's just yeah there are some some nice kind of quality of life yeah. features in the web app that serve really well and funnily enough often i will prefer the native app and if the native app isn't as fully functional then i i might be put off from the application, but Coda seems to be working really nicely. Not shilling for Coda. I am not on the Coda payroll or anything along those lines. Um, not a Jacob Samurai sponsor or anything like that. But yeah, I've, it's just an app that I've used just recently that that seems to be facilitating collaboration and works well enough on my iPad that yeah, it allows me to get things get things done thus far, working well. How do you manage the um, the application process? Like you have all these hundreds of applicants. Uh, what what apps and what uh, processes do you go through with that? That's a great question. Um, and that is uh, one of the joys of as a kind of freelance creative consultant working in line with a larger institution. So the institution has a page on their website through which all applicants send their information. Um, all of that information is then collated and sent to me. Um, I get that as an overarching spreadsheet, um, password protected. Um, and I also get a series of files attached to that. Um, and I get to basically go down that spreadsheet and I kind of do my own things. Um, uh, you know, being, being someone who's interested in this kind of stuff, um, I'm, I, it's not necessarily expected by the people that I work with. Well, maybe they expect it now. I'm sent this basic spreadsheet and then I'll start adding columns and equations and formulae and whatnot just to be able to sort things. And, um, so that actually goes into, um, numbers. Okay. For me, um, really simply and going into numbers that allows me to very easily kind of create a, a column that allows me to do my yes, no, maybe, um, and group those together so I can very easily work through the sheet. 
and um and I can tally I can keep an eye on how many people I've selected and I can you know judge things on the basis of I've got I've already got 40 people shortlisted I only need 45 this is where I, you know and I can make all those kinds of this it, it, it's worked as a really lovely workflow actually okay excellent yeah, yeah, I'd imagine you know, you're reviewing the the writing samples and seeing what if they have the yeah. potential and where they're at now, kind of thing. And, yeah. yeah, and it's it's. I mean, with that for that kind of program, again, it's a developmental program. So yeah, obviously, I'm looking out for fantastic writers, but more importantly, I'm looking out for people that I think I can offer something to, and people who I feel have space to grow, yeah. and who are invested in that notion of growth and learning more so than I want to be kite marked by um, being selected for this program, you know? Um, so it's, 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 it's a bit of a juggle um, to get that balance, right. To get that balance of, yeah, really interesting writing here, but also space to grow room to develop willingness to learn. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to strike the balance yeah. of. I'd imagine calendaring. You mentioned it previously. You used two different apps is important yes. trying to manage your schedule and uh, yes. collaborating with uh, different people at the initiative. What's what's calendaring look like for you and how do you manage all that? I could not live without some kind of calendar. Well, no, I could live without a calendar <laughs> app. I just wouldn't live very well and there'd be a lot of people upset with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I live by my calendar app. That is what tells me where I need to be when. Um, and yes, it's again, I try and keep as much of this as simple as I possibly can. So for me, it's, um, Fantastical and, um, the native calendar app. Um, I only use a single Google calendar at the moment, um, uh, for, yeah, for events, really. Well, no, not for events, for like managing invitations um, that come from various different sources and whatnot. Uh, and that is all synced into Fantastic Calendar Calendar, so I can access it through the one interface. Um, but other than that, everything else is Apple calendars. Um, I have a few different calendars so I can separate out different types of events. But yeah, it's, it's, pr it's a pretty simple setup in terms of calendaring. Um, I guess one thing that might be a little more interesting is that I also use, oh yeah, actually, I'm not sure how many people do this. I use my calendar as a log of things that I have done, not just things that I should do or things that are upcoming in the future. So I actually use my calendar as a basis for time tracking, for example. And again, that's something that comes from drafts so i use drafts as like my daily uh, what the fashionable term these days i think is interstitial journaling ha um basically if we're not familiar with interstitial journaling it's just this idea of keeping a log of the things that you do as you're doing them as you're working through your day so i i, I kind of think of my interstitial log or my daily journal as as um a tool for attention management so yeah i've got tasks in um good task uh, which we haven't spoken about yet. We'll get there. Um, I've got tasks in good tasks, things that I, I need to do by particular dates or times or just things that need to be done at some point. But in drafts, um, that is logging the things I'm actually doing. And with the way that I work in drafts, um, once I've kind of clarified what my list of things is for the day, and I'm just kind of ticking them off as I go. What I'll do is I'll check into a task and check out. So I've got a particular key press combination that allows me to say this task is in progress and it adds a little tag. Um, 
And when I mark that task done, which again is another key press, just command D, done. Um, marking it in progress or checking in adds a start time at the beginning of that line. Um, marking it done adds an end time and then also triggers um, Fantastical's uh, URL scheme to add that task to the calendar with the beginning and start time, right? Yeah. So it's really simple time tracking. Um, and again, at the end of the day, I've kind of got this, um, record of the things that I've, I've spent time doing through a day. And I kind of got there because again, I have one of these minds that doesn't do, so there are all these different apps, right? All these different apps for tracking different aspects and elements of your life. And they're great and they're wonderful. If we went to my app store purchases area, you would see, I, 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 it, it, I'm sure it could be classified as some kind of illness or something like this. I've got tons of different apps for different functions and features. I really should be, I should have my own site with reviews of things and whatnot, because the number of apps I've tried and tested for various different things. So talking about time tracking, I've got a lot of different time tracking apps that I've tried, and none of them have ever stuck for me because they demand a dedicated function. I need to go to the time tracking app or I need to add my tasks to that time tracking app and manage tasks in that way, which is, which feels like an added function, kind, you know, so at some work. point, yeah. it's extra work and it's, it, it's another habit that you have to establish in order to, you know, reap the benefit of that. And it just makes, it has made much more sense for me to fold as much of that as possible into one place. So yeah, in drafts, I can access drafts is again, it's not just my writing space. It's like my, my, I saw someone else write this a few years back and I was like, yeah, this is me. Drafts is basically my operating system. Drafts is my OS, right? Um, it's my attention management. It's my writing space. It's my way of getting things done. It's everything for me in that regard. Um, and it means because I'm already there, you know, adding like that next component, like for example, um, time tracking. It just makes sense because I'm there already. It's not adding another function. It's just another little workflow within that one space that I am, I'm already maintaining. Um, so your, your tasks are in good, good tasks? Yeah, and good tasks. And it pulls it into drafts in some way? Yeah. Is it using the yeah, yeah, yeah. backend for syncing that across? This is exactly it. So um, drafts has this wonderful facility for JavaScript actions and functions. I mean, if you're using drafts on the Mac, you can also write action script, action script, um, you, Apple scripts. I'm thinking flash from back in the day. Wow. That's a throwback. Um, you can also write Apple scripts and whatnot, but um yeah, for, for my use on the iPad, you've got these JavaScript libraries that allow you to access calendar events and you can access um, reminders and, and all these things. So um, what I have is in the morning, I have this kind of daily journal function. Um, I will first thing, top of the day, press a button and my daily journal comes up and that daily journal will scour my system and it will pull in all of the events that I have for that day. And it will pull in all of the tasks that are due that day or have a date that relates to the day that I'm on. So I've got this one document, this one draft that shows me all of the items that I need to pay attention to for that day. And then I can just work through that. 
um, and tick things off as I go. I do have it set up so that when I mark a task done in drafts, here you go, you might be excited at this one, um, for any drafts nerds or geeks out there, yeah. I've, I've got it set up so that when you mark the task done in drafts, it will also automatically mark it done in reminders as well, which ticks it off in good task. Yeah. That may be a little more. I mean, there are so many actions in drafts that I've made that were really just proofs of con- proof, proof of concept. Um, it was like, is it possible to do this thing? Yes. Should I really do this thing? Nah, maybe not. Maybe that's a bit of overkill, but it works. It works beautifully. Yeah. Jumping, uh, jumping ships a little bit. Um, yeah. Changing uh, a train of thought here. Um, your iPad home screen widgets. Um, how yeah. big into widgets are you? Interactive widgets are now a thing. Oh. Um, how has that changed for you? Uh, there was a point at which I used to manage app icons on my home screen, as so many of us do. Um, these days, I I pretty much don't have. I've got one folder of inputs on my first home screen. So I've got two two screens, right? I try and keep as few things to, to kind of scroll through or swipe through as possible. So I've got two home screens. Um, and on the first one, the main one, I've only got one folder, which is a folder of inputs. And that's got like reader, omnivore, Kindle, reading apps, basically, and um, kind of media trackers in it. It's got eight apps in there. Everything else on my home screens, it's all widgets, right? There are no other app icons on my home screen. And again, this means that my home screens are just providing me with information and useful information in terms of things I need to do, things I want to do, things I should be doing. Um, I can just look at those home screens at a glance and say, this is where I am. This is where I need to be. This is how I orientate myself. So one of those um, widgets, for example, is again, uh, not to, I feel like this is the, the, the drafts appreciation show. Um, one of those widgets is a drafts widget, which I've programmed to show me just the current task that's active. Because again, I have the kind of brain that will, um, <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, there's a shiny thing. Go over and do that thing when I'm supposed to be doing, you know, a million other tasks and whatnot. I will lose track of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, or I will go deep focus into something and lose that sense of what it was that I was supposed to be doing that pushed me into that deep, deep focus. Right? So there's a widget on my iPad home screen, which is literally just, this is the task that you've marked as in progress. And it just focuses that and shows that up. So um, at a glance, switching between apps, switching between apps or going back through the home screen, I can very quickly see, Oh yeah. This is why I've just spent the past two hours browsing things on, on Safari or browsing through Pinterest or whatnot. This is what I'm actually supposed to be doing. Let me get back to that, right? Um, yeah, it's just purely widgets. A um, couple of those widgets are interactive. I'm not, I haven't been that blown away by interactive widgets it's nice to have don't get me wrong um but i haven't really made that much use of the interactivity in widgets thus far so good task has um you know you can tick tasks off from um the uh, from the widget um but i don't do that 
the widget really just provides me with the information and more often than not, again, if I'm going to tick something off, it's likely to be via drafts or um, when I'm actually in the application for those things that I manage just in good task. So um, yeah, interactivity, lovely thing. I'm not using it so much, but widgets, oh yes, yes, please. Every day, all day and day. Um, yeah, there are some... There are some apps that I really do wish had widgets. So, for example, I'm a Fitbit user. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole notion, like, I love the idea of having the iPad home screen as a dashboard, which is essentially what I'm doing, right? It's just this kind of information that I can get a quick overview of where I am. Um, and apps like Fitbit, which again, actually, is just occurred to me, is now owned by Google. Google, it is, it? sort yeah. it out, yeah. guys. Come on. Um, Fitbit was such yeah. a cool company in the early days. I remember yeah. using my little, uh, little, what is it, little pebble-sized little thing. Yeah, just go strapped into your pocket or whatever, and they just yeah, replace yeah. it when you lost it. Like it was such a cool little company back then. Yeah, they really have been cool, and there are various different cool things about them. But yeah, just the the iOS and iPad. Well, you can add um, the Fitbit app to iPad OS. Obviously, it's more designed for the iPhone. But yeah, no widgets. It just like, give me my information in a widget, please. Please don't have me needing to um, to check into each individual app just to get an overview of where I am and where I need to be. In your notes here, I thoughts uh, came up here. Uh, how are you using that app? Uh, I will say honorable mention to iThoughts. Um, so iThoughts was the mind mapping app that I was using prior to MindNode. Um, and iThoughts is a fantastic app. Uh, it really does do very well in terms of mind mapping. And it is a little more powerful than MindNode in terms of being able to target specific nodes. So you could actually like write via URL schemes, you could write um, nodes from other apps into specific mind maps. So say, for example, if I had some text in a draft, um, I could highlight that text, um, trigger off a shortcut that would transfer that text directly to a node within a specific map. You could do all that kind of specifically pointed targeting, which my node still hasn't quite achieved. It's on the... Um, it's on the roadmap, I believe, but hasn't emerged yet. Um, there were, I, I, I really wanted to experiment because MindNode um, has the facility to create reminders directly. Um, I was kind of interested in experimenting with that. So at some point mid last year, I ended up switching from I thought to MindNode. And so more of my work at the moment is in MindNode than is in iThoughts, but I've still got a lot of love for iThoughts. Gotcha. Yeah. And then um, notes you share with me, Raindrop, uh, an app I've not really heard of, uh, came up in your list uh, for bookmarking. Oh, yeah. Raindrop. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I'm from the delicious generation of bookmarking from way back when. Um, <laughs> I mean, wow. Who knows how many of those links are dead from, from those days. Uh, the, the, the web is forever and is not forever simultaneously. Um, yeah, Raindrop is basically an extension of what it is that I used to do with Delicious, right? So, yeah, I've used um, Delicious, uh, Pinboard, 
um, a few other bookmarking apps, and I've landed with Raindrop. Raindrop is, um, again, there's something about the fact that you can change the layout and the styling of your different collections of bookmarks that works really well for me. So, for example, one of my collections is just an acquisitions collection. It's like a list of things that I've seen that I'm like, oh, yeah, I might like to pick that up. Um, uh, different bags, different pieces of tech, uh, different accessories, keyboard switch, whatever. And I've been able to, um, with Raindrop, you can, um, you can have a gallery um, kind of gallery style layout. Um, and that's just, it's, it's a small pleasure, but it's great to be able to just scan that list of things that you've kind of pegged for acquisition, just very quickly, visually just scroll through and say, okay, yeah, that was a thing that I said I was interested in picking up. Let me add that to the shopping cart. Boom, boom, boom. These, these, these. Yeah, cool. Great. Wonderful. Um, so for that kind of, um, yeah, it's got all of the functions that you would expect from a regular bookmarking application. So it does a certain amount of archiving. Um, so again, protecting you against um, dead links, it, it allows you to call up the archived version oh, of the link as it was when you saved it, yeah. right? These kinds of things are really useful for that kind of basis. And yeah, you can, if you wish to do so, you can use it as a read it later kind of app and you can... Um, you can also, so it does have a highlighting function in there as well. So you can highlight things within the documents that you've saved um, and it will store those specific highlights as you wish. I don't really use it for that. I just use it as a straight bookmarking um, application. Yeah, but the, yeah, um, Where's the differential coming for you for bookmarking versus read it later? Because I know you also use Omnivore for read it later. I'm one of those people who, again, we've spoken about this illness. I have too many apps for the same thing. So um, <laughs> I don't just use Omnivore. Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R, mm -hmm. is my um, my primary Read It Later app. Okay. Um, I'm fiercely loyal to Reader. It's a fantastic app. It's, I mean, it's RSS feeds and Read It Later, and I love it for that. Um, I've started using Omnivore recently. Um, a lot because of the um, voices. They've got some fantastic text-to-speech. Um, and being able to... There are certain articles and items that, yeah, I just I want to read. And I can get that information. I can get the information that I need just via reading. It, 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 great. I can pick out the paragraphs as I'm going. I can skim over. Or I can spend the time and really get into the text. Great. Wonderful. But there are certain apps that are just beautiful to listen to, uh, that I can listen to while doing the dishes or while going out for the walk and whatnot. And obviously that's more iPhone yeah. than it is iPad. Um, but yeah, really Omnivore... Like playlist of here's this list of relators and do this back to back or... You can't... As far as I'm aware, you can't. This is at the top of my list for feature requests. Yeah. Um, so what I'll tend to do is I'll, 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 um, I mean, yes, I've got my kind of recently added list, um, but I can't just set it up to play one after the other. Okay. Um, and I'll often, depending on the task, um, select my long reads. Yeah. So I'll go for the 20 minute, 30 minute kind of long items, um, rather than the, you know, the two minute ones kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Omnivore is great for that. I mean, it's a fantastic app in its own right. It's great for read it later stuff, but it's um, for me personally, because I'm kind of loyal to reader, 
Um, I'm using both of them and I'm using Omnivore specifically for that kind of text-to-speech function. Um, you asked what the difference is for me between um, between something like uh, Raindrop and something like Reader for Read It Later. Yeah. And for me, really... Um, there's a workflow that I've established because a lot of my incoming items come in via um, RSS. Having RSS and my read it later repository in the same app has proven to be really useful. Raindrop, yes, you can get things into Raindrop really easily. Yeah, great, wonderful. Um, but it feels like Raindrop for me is more of the archival um, kind of setup. That's more... Um, aside from capturing bookmarks for like the acquisitions that I was speaking about earlier, Raindrop is more about like, um, I've read something in Omnivore and I want to keep it. Uh, I want to be able to reference it in the future. So I'm just going to send it over to Raindrop uh, and tag it so that I can call it up again when I need to. Um, so Raindrop is more of the store for me. Um, read it later. Uh, reader, sorry, is where the reading happens um, and the filtering. And I will say also about Omnivore, Omnivore has a really good Obsidian um, kind of link. So the highlights that you capture in something like Raindrop pretty much stay in Raindrop. Um, I think there is a way of using IFTTT to get some things out, but I haven't really figured out a meaningful workflow for that kind of thing. Highlights in Omnivore. Yeah, you can set that up so that they sync direct to Obsidian. Um, and that is also something that I'm enjoying experimenting with uh, that might become more of a solid workflow for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Excellent. And then um, it appears that instead of signing up for a newsletter and putting in your email address, you've elected to use a service. So your email inbox is not getting bombarded. Is that uh, what I'm seeing in the notes here? Tim, yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> do newsletters. I can't do newsletters in my inbox. I get enough email as it is. Um, <laughs> I've had the same email address for um, ooh, twenty plus years. Yeah, um, I wish this, this hide my email address feature that iCloud added like a couple of years ago was there when I started email. Because right, it's, it's too late. It's too everything. It's it is too late. <laughs> This is it. So, I mean, all of the things that I signed up for way back when, when I was fresh and young and didn't know what it was that I was letting myself in for. Um, yes, I could press the unsubscribe button and I regularly try to do so. But yeah, it defeats me now. So I don't want to add. It, email is not the place for me to spend time actually reading things like articles and things like this. Um, email is a communication space. It's somewhere for me to uh, receive tasks, receive notifications, and then figure out what it is that I need to do with those, how I need to act on them. If I want to spend time reading, that happens in a different space. So yeah, I'll use um, Kill the Newsletter as a service, um, killthenewsletter.com, which I'm, I'm always a bit weirded out by the, uh, the domain name, and I feel bad. I feel bad that there's some newsletter owner who will see a sign-up and the sign-up is um, something, 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 something at killthenewsletter.com. It's like, what is that communicated? Um, but it is, it is literally just, um, it provides you with an RSS feed. Uh, so you get an email address that you can use to add to the newsletter. 
And then you get an RSS inbox that you can sign up to in your RSS reader. Um, so they get an email address, you get an RSS feed, um, and away you go. Um, no inbox required. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, my inbox works well, really well for me. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Airtable, how are you using yes. that app? Um, that is, I mean, there's nothing really rocket science-ish about it. It's a basic, um, I mean, there are many fantastic and amazing things you can do with Airtable. I use it as a way of, um, keeping track of membership for my writing program because there's this, um, community, right? So I was speaking about the idea that, um, it's not just here are some people they're, they're there for a term and then they go. Um, I kind of want to maintain communications over a period of time. Now, obviously, I have to do this sensitively. We live in an age of GDPR and whatnot. So I have to communicate with people and say, do you still want to be a part of this? So on and so forth. Um, but it's been really useful for saying, um, here are my people. Um, these different people have been on the program in these different years. Um, they've been involved in these different projects. So it's basically a relational database setup. Um, and yeah, it allows me to manage, um, who's been involved in the program, what they've done through the program and keep tabs on that so that I can communicate with them in meaningful ways. And I can, I've, it gives me the ability to kind of get a sense of or overview of, um, if I'm sending out opportunities for people to get involved with beyond the regular core offer of the program, I can kind of see how many people sign up for things, um, how popular certain things are, um, who's been involved in a lot of different things. So if I want to kind of share some of the opportunities around, I can make those kinds of decisions. It's just really useful in that regard. Very cool. Yeah. And it must be kind of cool to see where people have ended up. You know, it's been a while. So you have youngsters that are much older now. Yeah. Uh, so the first poet that I worked with um, was uh, 13 years old. First young poet I worked with through a program like this was 13 years old when I first met him. He's now, I think, in his early 30s. So this was beyond. This, this was before the Barbican Young Poets Program. But then he signed up for the Barbican Young Poets, po- Young Poets Program later um, uh, when the program kind of kicked off. And um, yeah, he's grown now. And um, I just got news. Was it yesterday of uh, one of the Barbican Young Poets who's now married and has a five month old daughter i think it is that i just found out about and um yeah it's wonderful it is it is it is uh, an amazing thing so many artists who are also educators do this work on this kind of um itinerant uh basis right so they're invited in as guests and they don't necessarily get the opportunity to establish these long running relationships, unless you're, you know, kind of engaged as a professor or a member of faculty in some way. Yeah. You don't often get this opportunity to build these, these long running relationships. And I've been blessed really. I consider myself really, really fortunate to have been able to do the work that I do to have been able to support this range of different people, um, some of whom have gone on to do amazing things and some of whom are just amazing human beings, regardless of whether they've remained within the arts or not. Um, I've been blessed with the opportunity to work with some amazing people and to establish 
these really long running relationships. I've seen people grow and mature and, and become adults from having been children when I first met them. And yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I give thanks regularly. Something I was just stuck in my head here is um, when you're doing um, instruction or, or, or guide guidance or whatever, do you, yeah. um, do you encourage handwriting or is it digital or what's that look like these days? Uh, so um, I am open. I mean, there are so many different ways that people express themselves. And there are so there's this kind of traditional way of thinking that that encourages encourages us to lock people into a certain authorized way. Yeah, because I'd imagine um, just like I'd probably I would probably write different handwriting versus typing, just the speed, right? And also, yeah, yeah just the ideas would flow differently. I would I would think completely. Now, um, slight tangent. I remember being in so I used to run this program where I travel out to Chicago each year um, and take a, a team a team of young teen writers to Chicago um, to participate in this kind of youth slam out there and and see um, a, a slam style poetry kind yeah. of stuff and um, I remember running a workshop out there. And, um, this was at a point when I was still in my, um, kind of station Japanese stationary phase, yes. um, and very much about pens and paper and all this kind of thing. And yeah, again, there was this kind of traditional sense of if you're in a poetry workshop, you're going to pull out your pa pad, you're going to pull out your pen, you're going to get, you've got your notebook, you're going to get writing down. And, um, I just remember this moment where, uh, I, I set, we were, we were by the beam in in Chicago and I set this writing challenge and expected everyone to, um, to pull out pen and paper and whatnot and 90 percent of them pulled out their phones and started <laughs> typing into phones and that was a moment for me and yeah. this was kind of not even a, early, not even a keyboard we got virtual not even a keyboard yeah this is it just <laughs> thumb typing and whatnot and this was a moment for me when i kind of really appreciated um you know we have to be we have to be open to the different ways in which people express themselves and the different ways in which people um, connect with things. You know, I had this kind of paper fetish, really. But for these young people that I was working with, their writing, their computing device was a phone. Um, and it really did. It challenged my thinking in terms of how flexible can we be in terms of allowing space for different people's ways of working. So, yeah, in in the, the program that I run these days, I, I acknowledge this. Um, I'm not too fussed what it is that you write on. I'm not too fussed how it is that you write. Um, and I will allow space for it as long as we get the writing down. You know, I don't want anything to be a barrier. I don't want me saying, I expect you to pull out a, a piece of paper and a pen right now. I don't want that to be a barrier to you getting things done in the way that you need to. So in a session, when I set a writing challenge or offer a prompt, um, you'll see a range of different things. You'll see people, some people pulling out laptops and whatnot, some people going to their, their notebooks and whatnot. And all of it, it's all good. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. When I lived in Los Angeles like a decade plus ago, I went to the Poetry Lounge every week and uh, you would nice. see all sorts of different people bring, you know, their notepad up or their, their yeah. phone back in the day and... Uh, yeah. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's kind of, um, it's been interesting, um, kind of observing how the culture around the technology has changed, even in a space like poetry and creative writing, because again, poetry can be 
actually quite conservative when it comes to technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways in which certain edges of poetry can be quite resistant to the ways in which we work. So again, me working on an iPad in various different settings, there are some people who are just like, huh? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. You mean you don't have a laptop? You mean you don't have a traditional computer? How does that work? You know, um, and yeah, there are ways, in, even down to the, 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 the visuals and aesthetics of, um, the expectation of someone standing up in front of a microphone and pulling a pad or piece of paper out and reading from that versus someone pulling a phone out and reading from that instead. Just even that yeah. has been really interesting to observe the shift in over the years. For sure. Yeah. So, um, Another app slash service that stuck out to me in the list that you sent over was exist.io. Yes. For personal tracking, which, yeah. Um, and you're also using your time tracking stuff with the calendar. And how does all this kind of work together? Yeah. Um, so the time tracking in the calendar is, is slightly different from exist, though exist does have the ability to pull in information from your calendar and really just tell you how busy you were over certain stretches of time. But yeah, exist is, um, it's, it's, it sometimes gets lumped in with your kind of habit tracking apps and things like streaks and, and, and that kind of stuff. Exist for me is more about, I mean, you could use it in, in that way you could, but exist for me, the power of exist is more about insights right? So you track certain things that happen and then it will give you some information back in terms of trends over time. So for example, Exist plugs into various different systems. So again, Exist can connect to Fitbit directly. Um, it can connect to Spotify. It can connect to um, Apple Health. I think there's a direct connection for Apple Health. Um, so just by quote unquote existing, with the apps that I have running, um, I can get, uh, uh, I've got a widget that basically kind of informs me about my daily and another widget that informs me about my weekly trends. So, um, one of my exist widgets will tell me, Hey, you didn't sleep uh, particularly well last night. Last night's sleep was surprisingly short in relation to your average for a Wednesday. For example, um, you listen to more music on a Wednesday. Um, and this is the particular band or artist that you've been listening to more so recently. Um, it pulls that data in from. So that music data will pull in directly from Spotify. Um, but yeah, it kind of gives you that ability to pull in a lot of different data and it, it offers you these insights. So uh, one other one is, um, yeah, you've been walking less this week. This is your average. This is what you've done this week. Um, it doesn't tell you, maybe you should get out and do some more work, walking, but that's the, the kind of response I have in my mind. It's like, oh, okay, I've been standing in front of this, uh, this, these screens for a bit more than I should. Maybe I should get out and, and, and um, add some more steps to my Fitbit. So, yeah, this is Exist for me. Exist is like um, those nudges towards the, um, the kind of activity that might be beneficial, but also just that sense of um, what have I been doing? Just that overview, that kind of that 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 trend, uh, um, and you're tracking uh, things that you care about. So these are things, yeah, that, yeah, like these are things you want to be focused on. So it's a good reminder to do that stuff. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. 
And it's stuff that you might kind of lose sight of because, again, we might focus on the day-to-day. Um, yeah, I feel that I didn't get great sleep last night, for example. But to be able to locate that within trends over time, um, that becomes even more meaningful, you know? Yeah. So um, text manipulation is something that a lot of Mac people uh, think that uh, it's very important to have a Mac for all the, the crazy stuff you can do with that. But you're doing a lot of this with text case in S-A? E-S-S-E? Uh, yeah, I would say S-E, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I can stand to be corrected on yeah, I that. Yeah, I was just making that up. Uh, <laughs> S-A, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I use both of them. Um, they're both available as kind of Sheshi extension um options so you can highlight some text wherever it is that you are in um in ipad os and um send them off send that highlighted or selected text through the share sheet extension to um to either of those apps depending on what it is that you want to do um there again they 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 overlap so they're both pretty cool they they work in slightly different ways i haven't yet mastered either or both of them i have used them to good effect thus far but i feel like there's another layer of mastery that i can achieve just in terms of refining that workflow and i mean that's that's um i think there's also a a point about ipad os in there i think um in terms of share sheet extensions i'd love to be able to add even one or two priority actions to the first menu that comes up um, when you long press on something rather than having to get that menu up, press share, and then scroll down the list to find the thing that you want. Um, But yeah, so SE and text case, they work well, but um, I'm very aware of the fact that some of those functions uh, in fact, all of those functions that that these apps do, I can I can do in drafts as well. It's just a ma- you know what it is. It's just a matter of setting up a workflow that makes sense. Um, and I guess this is the the joy and the pain of of iPad OS. There are a number of different ways of doing things, and I think. I, I haven't yet seen, and I'm sure as I say this, someone is going to jump up and say, what about this? I personally, in the way that I work, I haven't yet had a case of text manipulation that I couldn't do with drafts or even building something of my own through a shortcut, right? For me, it's just I haven't yet properly invested time in just smoothing out and refining a workflow. So text case and SE, sorry, they work well for now, but I feel like there's a little refinement that I can I can put forward. Um, so for example, on my home screen, um, in my dock, um, I've, I, again, I've got, I haven't really got apps. I've got one app folder there, but um, you know, the other four icons are uh, home screen shortcuts. I've got two for drafts. One's um, open a new draft. One is go to today's journal. And I've got this kind of utility shortcut. That utility shortcut, because it's in the dock, it means that whatever app I'm in, if I just swipe up from the bottom of that screen, that utility shortcut is available, right? 
Um, and it means that, say, for example, you do the thing of um, copying some text from a web page and you um, jump over to an email and you want to paste that text. And because you're copying it from a web page into email, you get a lot of the kind of formatting that comes with it. Yeah, right? it's so like this, this text very... came from this website. Please support us or whatever. Yeah. You get all of that, and also it might come up in a really large font, or it might come up with color, or any of that kind of stuff, right? So you just want the plain text, yeah? Um, so I've set my utility shortcut up with um, an option for that. So um, as I go over to uh, the Mail app, I can just call up that shortcut and press one of those options, which is clipboard to plain text. Um, it will transform whatever is on the, the, the clipboard to plain text. And then all I need to do is paste into the email. That kind of really easy workflow, it, it, eminently possible with, with everything that we're currently afforded. It's just you have to be the kind of person who is willing to um, figure out what works best and how. You know, yeah. the, like putting that directly in a shortcut that sits in that dock, that's, that, that requires having had that experience or kind of following someone who, who shows you how to do that to, to ensure that that option is easily available wherever it is that you are in a way that makes most sense for you. And again, when we're talking about what makes most sense for you, you'll have to figure out your own way. Maybe, maybe there isn't this kind of universal thing. Um, you have to kind of put together your own path. And I think this is, this is, again, it's one of the blessings and curses of working um in ipad os at the moment i mean it's a part of computing generally right really. yeah but yeah you have to learn how mac people do certain things like i would have, a, have to relearn some things on the mac if i went back there. exactly exactly yeah are there any apps uh that you use regularly that uh we haven't talked about that you'd like to um talk about before you start to wrap it up um, I think we've covered pretty much all of them. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send another shout out to, um, Obsidian. We've kind of referenced it. Haven't spoken much about it. It's only really starting to now come into my, I've, I've kind of looked towards Obsidian a number of times and it's never grounded. And it's only just recently that I'm really like, Oh, I finally get it. This is how it can work for me. Um, I will also send a shout out to Mona, um, which is a fantastic Mastodon client. Um, but yeah, I think we've pretty much covered, oh, documents, documents is a, is a kind of a legacy app for me. Um, I mean, FileZap has become really quite powerful over the years. I mean, so look, I started working with iPads from iPad one. Right. Um, I got my first iPad and uh, like a week after I got the very first first gen iPad, uh, the Mac laptop that I had at that time died. So all I had was the first iPad. And, I, you know, for a while I tried to make it work. And it really didn't. <laughs> yeah, the iTunes file sharing. Uh, yeah, wow. right. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a bit of a nightmare. But I was really kind of. Um, I was invested in. In I, I was. I was intrigued by what was possible. Right. 
Um, and it's been amazing to see how iPadOS and the various different native apps that have been made available through iPadOS, it's been amazing to see how they've grown over time. And again, the notion of having built-in file management, um, which I think now we pretty much consider to be a standard, like how would you be able to manage a device like this without file management, knowing that I was there all those years ago? Yeah, and, and documents, it just wasn't... Yeah, documents was there uh, day one, I think, and they had this weird way of yeah managing stuff but you had to do yeah. that thing, yeah 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 and so um with the way that files has grown there's 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 a lot that it has taken over and there's a lot that's great for working within files that i don't necessarily need documents for but because i'm used to working with documents and it offers all again these kind of different quality of life things so i can um use documents as a music player if I wish. So I've got, again, legacy. I've got a ton. I've got a whole music library stored in a Dropbox folder of um, kind of old CDs that I ripped over the years. Right. And um, of course, there's an app for that. I used to use Ever Music and whatnot. Um, but um, knowing that I can just access that folder via documents um, and it, it provides a really nice interface for just playing through a folder th- a folder of um, of media files. Um, documents is really cool. I, I often use um, documents for marking up PDFs as well and managing PDFs, like moving pages, you know, that kind of PDF management stuff where you add new new pages to a PDF document and, and all that. I, I use it for that quite a bit as well. Excellent. Yeah, it's a great kind of all-purpose app that does so much, yeah. It really is. Um, Play as well. Um, Play is a fantastic uh, YouTube um, management tool application. Um, I use it with, um, Invidious. So, um, you can kind of, um, you can kind of, you can set, uh, how it is that you want your YouTube videos to play. Um, which I really appreciate. So um, you don't just have to open your regular YouTube interface from those YouTube items that you've saved. Um, You can push them to other services. And it also accepts Vimeo videos as well. So, yeah, works in a lovely way. Um, And SQL. How can we forget SQL? Um, SQL is a great little app for media tracking. So I used to have a number of different apps for these are the books that I'm reading. Um, these are, I'm not really that much of a gamer, but I do have a Steam Deck. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, this is the game or these are the games that I'm, I'm kind of chilling out in at this point in time. And, uh, these are the TV shows that I might be checking in on. And to have all of that in one place in SQL, absolute joy. Um, I would, and this is, I, I've kind of already pushed this request through, so I, I, I shouldn't really make too much noise about this because I don't want to upset the developer yeah. in any way, shape or form. Um, but I, I will really love it as and when, um, so as, as it currently stands, when you go into SQL, the focus is more on like your wish list or things that are upcoming, right? Um, and again, my brain also needs help in terms of what am I actually reading again? Yeah, because I'll, yes. I'll 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 often have like four, five, seven different books on the go. So being able to just see that list of um, currently um, active items is really lovely and useful. And I'm looking forward to the day that SQL allows you to set that page or that tab as your default 
um, view for when you go into the app rather than these are the things that are up and coming. These are the things you want to watch in the future. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Looking forward to that. But yeah, that's me. That's, 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 I think those are the, the apps that are kind of at the core of my iPad usage and the apps that keep me kind of on the straight and narrow. Very cool. Yeah. There's so much more I absolutely would love to dive into uh, with you um, in, the, in this episode. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, we should definitely do a, a, a another episode at some point in the future. Uh, there's so much more to talk about, I'm sure, here. Oh, I would love to. We didn't even touch on, um, we didn't touch on coding apps. Um, shout out to Runestone and Textastic yeah. and all of those different apps. Uh, we'll save that yeah. for part two. Yes, there, there will... Yeah, we need to do part two at some point because yeah, um, I, I need to yeah we need to to wrap it up. Uh, but uh, before this becomes a four hour podcast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank thank you so much for your time today. Where can folks find um, uh, what you're up to online and any places you want to promote? Firstly, thank you for having me. Um, it's a real joy. Like I say, I've I've been an avid listener um, to the iPad pros podcast for a while now so it's a joy to be able to kind of join the body of people who've been here um me i am most active at the moment on mastodon so jslr at toolsforthought.social uh shout out to boris mann for managing the tools for thought server um i am available on um you know some of the more traditional uh, social media. So yeah, there is uh, a, a Jason LaRose Instagram page. Um, I am available on the former uh, The Dead Bird site, as it once was. But I don't really spend time on on the traditional um, the traditional social media these days. So you can message me. You can kind of see what it is that I have done. On Twitter, you can see what it is that I have done on Instagram, but Mastodon is pretty much where I'm at. And if you just search Jacob Sandler-Rose, because I have one of those pretty weird and individual surnames, you'll be able to find me if you just put me into your chosen search engine. That's uh, Jacob Sam hyphen luck space Rose. Thank you, people who gave me my name. Um, yeah, you'll find me. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll link to all that in uh, the show notes here and. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an awesome chat and looking forward to having more of those in the future with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was my discussion with Jacob. My thanks to Jacob for his time recording. My thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support the show and get early access at patreon.com slash Pros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.